let me add my welcome. There's a few new faces out there. My name is Paul, and we're just starting a new series tonight in uh, 1 Corinthians, and you'll find that uh, on page 806 in your Pew Bibles. Whilst you're finding that, uh, tonight's actually a birthday. It's the uh, third birthday of Church by the Bridge. We started three years ago to the day, and we started with a 6 p.m. service, and uh, three years later, God's been very kind to us. So I'm going to thank God for the past three years, and then we get stuck into his word. Father, thank you for your kindness over the last three years. Thank you for growing your church. Thank you for the people who have uh, come to faith through uh, this church. Thank you for all the men and women who have uh, been part of this church, uh, those who are no longer with us and are at other churches, uh, those who are still with us. And we pray that you would keep on uh, growing your kingdom incurably and beyond uh, through the work of the gospel here in Church by the Bridge. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want you to imagine uh, this church. It's a church that's in a, a vibrant city. It's a church uh, that is actually packed, you know. Lots of people gather uh, and they love gathering together and the music is pumping and people are signing up to serve all over the place. It's a church where the leaders are incredibly powerful. It's a church where the leaders almost put themselves up against each other and start to form these little factions. It's a church where one of the leaders is having an affair with his stepmother, but nobody really takes a blind bit of notice. It's a church where one leader is suing another leader in the secular courts and the world just looks and, and laughs. It's a church where people think that they've made it and they start to look down at other people who don't have the gifts or don't have the talents that they've got. It's a church where some people even question whether Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It's a church where it's all about having a good time in the here and now and enjoying life in the here and now. It's a church in, in Corinth back in the first century. But actually it's pretty similar to a church in Sydney today. Lots of churches in Sydney, in Australia, all around the world today. Over the next few weeks and months we're looking at 1 Corinthians and we'll get to know this church a lot better. Uh, if you didn't know, Corinth is in the southern part of Greece um, and until 146 BC, uh, 146 BC it was a thriving city but then the Romans came and they conquered that city and they almost destroyed that city and they left it almost derelict for a hundred years. In about 44 BC, Julius Caesar decided to, to reclaim that city and so he sent 80,000 Roman freedmen, so prisoners, to, to start a new life in a city called Corinth. And they rebuilt the city. It was such a strategic location because it has what's called an isthmus, which is a canal. You see it here. Next slide. Next slide, please. There's a canal. Uh, that canal was used to, to take goods from one side of Greece to the other. And it, it boarded going around the southern tip of Greece. So lots of people came to Corinth. And one man who came to Corinth was a guy called Paul. He came in about 51 AD. Uh, if you know Paul, he was a, a Pharisaic Jew who had been converted to Christ and was a, the, the, the first century church planter, if you want. And by the time 
Paul visited Corinth, this city was flourishing. It had a, an opera house or, or a theatre for 18,000 people. It had a concert hall for 3,000 people. It was the, the hub or the centre for arts and drama. It had its own games, sporting arenas. It had its own travel centre. It was a centre for sex in the whole of Greece. So up on the hill overseeing Corinth was a, a big temple. Uh, the temple to Aphrodite is a goddess of love. And there were 1,000 prostitutes in that temple. And it was a centre really for the place where you would go just to be yourself. If you wanted to indulge in life, you'd go to Corinth. And Paul went there, and Paul preached the gospel there. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. And he began preaching the synagogue, as he always did. And the synagogue ruler Crispus was converted. But the Jews refused to listen, so Paul went to the Gentiles. And for one and a half years, for 18 months, he, he preached the gospel in Corinth. He laid down really strong foundations. By the time he left, this church was, was rock solid. It was a strong church. A church full of Gentiles, many Gentiles. Uh, ordinary people, the lower social economic people. Not many wealthy people, but a strong church living in this pagan city called Corinth. And the big question is, what do you do when you're a church surrounded by pagan temples? Uh, what do you do when you're a church and you're tempted by the ways of the world? What do you do when lots of new Christians become Christians but they're still attached to the world? What happens when your surrounding culture squeezes and squeezes and squeezes until the church, well, are they going to stand and be different? That was the situation in Corinth. And uh, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. We don't have it. It's not being retained for us. And the Corinthians didn't like that letter, so they wrote back to Paul, and then Paul wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians. When you're reading a letter, it's good to look for the unexpected, for the uh, unconventional in the, in the introduction. And I think we find the two big issues in our very first, the first and second verses. Look at verse 1. Uh, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus uh, by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus straight up he says I've been called to be an apostle that's my authority that's my credentials and this is a big issue in Corinth that they're questioning Paul the Corinthian church are, are at odds with their founder uh, they're starting to reject what Paul says and they say who is this guy We've got new leaders, new teachers, we don't listen to Paul. It's not just apathy. When you read 1 Corinthians, these guys really object to Paul. and They judge Paul. And straight away he says, no, no, I'm an apostle. Not by my will, not by my choice. It was the will of God that I came to Corinth. That's the first issue. Uh, the second issue is that this church are divided or they're quarrelling with each other. So look at verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth does that strike you to the church of God in Corinth if you know your New Testament letter it should strike you because most others start with the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father but he says to the church of God in Corinth he's saying you, you belong to God uh, the fact that this church exists is all God's work you don't belong to, to Paul you don't belong to Corinthians you don't belong to any leaders you belong to God so why are you quarrelling? As you read this letter, you'll find what they're quarrelling about. They quarrel about food and communion and sex and the roles of men and women and the resurrection. Uh, but at this core is this. 
there's spiritual elitism going on. These church, this church thinks they've made it. You know, they're the best Christians. They don't need Paul's teaching, they need other people. They're the kind of church that says, uh, I'm okay. I can dabble in the world because I'm okay because I'm a Christian. It's okay for me to, to have a non-Christian boyfriend and girlfriend and to sleep around because I'm a Christian, I'm okay, I can handle it. It's okay for me to, to be in the world and also in the church because I'm, I'm strong in my faith. Or they say, I'm a business leader, I run my own company, I should be a leader in church. They think they're mature, they think they're right, but actually they're completely wrong. And so Paul writes this letter. A strong letter, it's a sarcastic letter. Uh, outwardly they're strong, but he says, you're a church that's gone completely wild. You're a church without Christ. It's a bit like, you know, when you see uh, pa- uh, paint peeling on your, your walls. Have you seen that? You've got paint peeling on your walls. You've got two choices, haven't you? You can just buy some paint, you can just paint over the peeling paint, and you think, oh, it's sorted. Or you can investigate what's causing the, the, the paint to peel. Get down to the, the nitty gritty, the root issue. If you find the leaking pipe, then you solve the pipe, you solve the problem. You don't just cover it up. And Paul is saying here, the problem with you Corinthians is that, is that you think you've made it. You think you're in Christ, but you're not. Subtly, very slowly, you've shifted it away from Christ. And I want to suggest that that's a problem with our church today. Not this church, perhaps this church. But many churches, including some people here, we think we've made it. We think we're successful. We think we can cope with the culture squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. We think we can keep a foot in both camps, the world and, the, and Christ. And Paul says, no, you can't, because very subtly you'll shift away from Christ. The Corinthian church had gone wild. And I pray that as we look at 1 Corinthians of the next few months, we come back to Christ and we'll have depth in Christ. So let's listen to verses 1 to 9 and I think Deb's going to read those verses to us. One Corinthians chapter one verses one to nine. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. So what does a a church gone wild need to hear? If you were writing to this church, what would you need to remind them? The the main thing he reminds them is this, it's remember the privilege that you have in Christ. 
Remember all the privilege that you have in Christ. It's so easy to miss. We kind of gloss over it. We expect it, but it's so unusual. There's one phrase that appears in every single verse of these first ten verses. Can you spot it? What phrase appears in every single verse of these first ten verses? Anyone got it? It's just the word Christ. Every single verse, Jesus Christ, is mentioned in his first ten verses. It's like Paul is banging a drum saying, remember Christ, remember Christ, you've got everything in Christ. So verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. He says, remember, you're sanctified in Christ. Literally, you're set apart for Christ. It's like the marriage relationship. You know, A husband stands here with his wife and promises that they're going to be one for all eternity, for to death they depart. They're going to be one. And Paul is saying, you know, if you've got faith union with Christ, if you've, if you've recognised that, that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness, and you've recognised that Christ died for you, and you've put your trust in him, then you are one with Christ. And the whole world needs to see that you're one with Christ. You're set apart for Christ. No one owns you but Christ. You don't belong to anybody but Christ. Corinthians, remember who you are. Uh, don't fall into that trap of, of aligning yourself with any human leader. Don't think, you know, I belong to, to Paul's army or, or Peter's army or Philip's army or Brian's army. You're set apart for Christ. You are holy. You've been called to be holy. Verse 2. Called to be set apart. Uh, this wasn't the uh, Corinthian strong point, was it? Because uh, the church in Corinth looked more like pagan Corinth than the holy people of God in Corinth. And they walk into the Corinthian church and it would look very different, very little different from any social gathering. The alcohol would be flowing, the, the gossip would be there, the flirting, the emotional manipulation, the competitiveness. They're all there within the church. Uh, but if you grasp that you are actually sanctified in Christ and set apart for Christ, then perhaps you'll start to be who you are. Be God's people. That's the first privilege, you're, you're sanctified in Christ. The second privilege is there in verse 2 again, you're partners in Christ. Look at verse 2. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He says, because of Jesus, you are in partnership, you're united with everybody else who calls on the name of the Lord. You're united with your brothers and sisters in this very city, in the church next door, you're supposed to be united with each other here in this very building. Uh, you know, the Corinthians needed to hear this because they were forming factions. Uh, the Christians were starting to think they could go it alone. Uh, God has no place for, for lone rangers. That, that concept that it's about me and my relationship with God and I can do without my local church, that is bizarre to the Bible. He says, verse 2, together with all those who call on the name of our Lord, their Lord and ours. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus the Lord of the person sitting next to you? Well, when they're your partners. You're one in Christ. He says that again in verse 3, doesn't he? Grace, that's the, the, the Greco-Roman greeting, and peace is a Jewish greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, because of Christ, grace and peace come to you. You're united in Christ. Now, I wonder whether we need a bigger picture of God's church. See, if I'm in Christ... It's not just about my Christian life. 
It's not about my church. Uh, this church is not the centre of the religious universe. We're just one small cog in one very large wheel. We're part of God's church, local, national and international. We're, we're partners in Christ. Uh, the third privilege is this, that you've got grace in Christ. Grace in Christ. This must have been a really tough letter to write. It was a tough letter to receive. And yet Paul begins with thanksgiving. That's extraordinary, isn't it? How can Paul be so positive about a church that is so wild? How can Paul be so positive about people who are questioning his authority and quarrelling with each other? Yet he starts with gratitude, he starts with thanksgiving. How do you do that? Listen carefully. You only do that if you've understood grace. You'll only give thanks for people that actually you disagree with or who rub you the wrong way if you've understood grace. Look at verse 4. I always, whenever I pray, I, I thank God for you. I thank God for the fact that Christian believers even exist in a city like Corinth or Sydney. That's entirely because of God's grace. I thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Uh, grace is just, you know, God's undeserved gift. It's the foundation for our relationship with God. You know, the gifts of repentance and faith, that is God's grace. Uh, in Christ, the fact that you're forgiven rather than condemned, that is God's grace. In Christ, the fact that you are received righteousness instead of wrath, that is God's grace. And if you call yourself a Christian today, it's because of God's grace. Grace in Christ. It's such a simple point, but it's the most profound point, isn't it? A right understanding of grace will strip away your pride. You know better than anybody else. You don't deserve to be saved. It's all grace. That's the third privilege, you've got grace in Christ. Uh, the fourth privilege is gifted by Christ. Uh, look at verse 5. For in Christ you've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was, con was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He says, guys, you've been enriched. You are wealthy, literally. You've got everything you need in Christ. You've got grace in Christ, grace to save you, but also he's gifted you. You're totally gifted. You've been gifted in speaking and in knowledge, verse 5. Are those two words, speaking and knowledge, are kind of two buzzwords in Corinthians because the Corinthians thrived on rhetoric and knowledge and philosophies they prided themselves in intellect and eloquence and debating it's just, that's just a gift from God if you believed in Christ verse 6 if our testimony was confirmed in you if you believed in Christ then you've got the spirit and you've got a gift so praise God for that why are you so divided? you've been gifted in Christ you've got grace in Christ you're, you're sanctified in Christ and the, fourth, and the last privilege is this that, that they are assured in Christ they are utterly assured have certain hope because of Christ so the problem is I think that sometimes when we think that we are gifted sometimes when we think that we've made it we start thinking about the here and now and we take our eyes off the future we start thinking that actually we are somebody's and we stop thinking actually we're just heading for, for glory and we're waiting for the return of Christ. 
And so Paul says to the Corinthians, verse 7, you don't like any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You're just waiting. You're waiting for the, the judgment day, the resurrection day. Get that right and you'll, be, you'll stop being so obsessed with the here and now. Verse 8, but God will keep you strong to the end so you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's promise, that it, we're not dependent on other people to keep us. You're not dependent on, your, on your, your church leaders or your connect leaders or any human leader, whether it be you know, John Piper or, or Brian Houston or Philip Jensen. It's God's work to keep you strong. How can you trust that God? Look at verse 9. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ is faithful. You can be sure not because of a fickle human leader, not because of an eloquent preacher, but because of a faithful God. A faithful God who has called you into his family, into his fellowship. Now that God is reliable. If he's called you to be holy, he, he will keep his promise and present you blameless on that last day. Now, do you see why Paul begins with this, this letter like this? If you forget all that you have in Christ then you'll quickly slip into man-made religion. A man-centred, human-focused, law-keeping religion. If you forget who you are in Christ, you'll quickly slip into quarrelling and fighting because you'll think you're better than somebody. If you forget who you are in Christ, uh, then you'll quickly form your faction, saying, you know, we are the right church, we are the right church, we are the Jensenites, uh, we are the Hillsong people. If you remember who you are in Christ then you say, no, no, we're one in Christ. And what a huge privilege to have all these things in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's always a solution to come back to Christ and to know Christ better. That's his first point. Remember all the privilege you have in Christ. Uh, the second point is this, uh, the appeal for unity in Christ. Uh, the Corinthian church is one divided church. Uh, they don't just disagree over the colour of the carpet. They disagree about everything. There's factions, there's fighting, there's cliques, there's subgroups, and Paul pleads with them for this unity. Look at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another. That verse 10 is like the bridge to the rest of the letter. So let's listen to verses 10 to 17, and Angus is going to read those verses to us. up from verse 10 I appeal to you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought my brothers some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you what I mean is this one of you says I follow Paul another I follow Apollos another I follow Cephas still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised into my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with words or human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
Okay, guys, look what, look what we don't know. We don't know who Chloe or uh, her people were, uh, but they certainly brought this news about quarrelling. I find it interesting in verse 11, he actually names Chloe. I think, you see, if you're going to say something negative about somebody, you've got to be willing to put your name to it, haven't you? You can't make a criticism and not actually put your name to it. He names Chloe as the person who, and her household, the person who's brought this news about quarrelling. What else don't we know? We don't know what the divisions are about. There's no specific issue. It could have been theological. It could have been personality. It could have been style. We don't know. The Corinthians knew. And I think, again, that is God's providence, isn't it? Because if he'd known a specific issue, then we'd write off this letter saying it's just relevant for that issue. And Paul is saying, no, no, whatever your problem, whatever your divisions, it's a problem, so sort it out. Uh, but look at the key word in, these, in these, these verses. The repeated word. It's no longer Christ, is it? What's the repeated word in these verses? It's the word, I. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Now, that word, I, is like the telltale sign of a uncrucified ego it's the warning sign for divisions the core issue here is that people have shifted away from Christ and onto self verse 12 I follow Paul and he founded this church I'll always be committed to him or I follow Apollos we, we know Apollos followed Paul in Corinth and we know he was a very eloquent speaker unlike Paul uh, Paul doesn't seem as a threat in chapter 3 he, he commends him for watering what he has sown but when you've got people hanging off your every word and saying, he's my leader, he's my man, that's a problem. Uh, some said, I follow Cephas or Peter. Again, we know Peter went to Corinth and for the Jews in church, I guess they're tempted to follow him. Or people say, I follow Christ. And the really spiritual people, I only listen to Christ's words, I only read the Gospels of Christ. I'm not going to listen to Paul or any of the apostle. I don't know anybody else. And Paul says, why are you so divided? Why so many different factions and sects and churches? You know, I wonder what I wonder what the Apostle Paul would make of our, all our denominations today. Uh, I'm an Anglican. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm an Assemblies of God. He said, no, no, you're a Christian first. You're a Christian. You just happen to be in a particular building in a particular style or structure. Uh, don't mishear me uh, when there's heresy at stake uh, when there's untruth, we, we cannot be united with those people. I'm not promoting ecumenicalism, this whole idea of a low and common denominator. That's, that's rubbish. Uh, but when we choose to, to distance ourselves from, from Bible teaching churches, or, or when a church is driven by personality rather than by Christ, or when we're building our empire rather than building God's kingdom, when we've got this spirit of intolerance, this kind of puffed up we are the only true, true church and we've shifted away from the gospel of Christ now here's a bold claim I wonder whether you agree with me disunity or, or division in the church is perhaps the greatest scandal that compromises our witness to Christ bold claim disunity or division in the church is perhaps the greatest scandal that compromises our witness now when people just see Christians who are visibly tearing each other apart uh, one church fighting with another church isn't that a major reason why people say I'm not interested in Christianity isn't unity what, what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 13 uh, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another 
or John 17 I pray that those who believe in me may be one may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me uh, the church should be the place where people from different backgrounds for different, different uh, socio-economic all come together and we're united it's a powerful witness isn't it when people agree with each other when people who wouldn't naturally associate come together when people sing music that they don't like when people support music they don't like but it's okay because we're united in Christ and that's a powerful witness but when you've got personality cults and when you, you must go to this church to be saved and when a Christian group is hang on every word of every song or when the talk is all about joining my church when Christians fight and slander and accuse and abuse the pagan world just looks at our church and laughs the real problem is this that disunity or division it undermines Christ it undermines the gospel of Christ that's the key to, to promoting unity again it's the one word Christ focus on Christ not your human leaders focus on Christ not your human, human pride or your ego look what he says in verse 10 I appeal to you brothers I plead with you if you want I'm not, I'm not demanding I'm pleading with you as brothers in Christ that all of you agree with one another positively that you literally say the same thing or negatively he puts it again so there may be no divisions no schismata no schisms no factions no tearing apart and verse 10 again that you may be perfectly united in mind and thoughts you know, no gaps no chinks just a oneness listen carefully unity is not the same as uniformity but he's saying you must be at one you must agree on, on God and the Bible and Christ and the church I mean let's think about it verse 13 is Christ divided? no if there's only one Christ then why would you divide yourself by any human leader surely you're a Christian was Paul crucified for you no so why do you follow Paul were you baptised again verse 13 were you baptised in the name of, of Paul or Peter or Simon or Benedict no you were baptised in the name of Christ and thankfully Paul only baptised a few people just like me um, it says stop following leaders stop aligning yourself to human people stop looking for this most eloquent speaker and, and defining yourself by them and stop idolising speakers and stop idolising sort of John Piper or Mark Driscoll or Tim Keller or Brian Houston or Simon Manchester stop hanging off every word because you follow Christ verse 17 Christ didn't send Paul to baptise but to preach the gospel and in God's wisdom he was not a, a great speaker he was a dud speaker but it's okay because he didn't speak with words of human wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power that was Paul's job to point people to the cross to preach Christ to exalt Christ to people to find their identity in Christ alone and that is the solution to disunity and division in our church today to keep focusing on the cross of Christ so as I close what is it that causes divisions within our church or our churches today think about it what, what, what divides you from your brothers and sisters I have to say I think very little is actually theological some of it is and there are some churches where they don't preach the Bible they don't preach Christ and we can't be united with them but so much is stylistic or, or personality driven you know 
if the church at the moment is preaching the gospel, they may do it in a different way, in a different style, but that's okay. We are brothers and sisters in Christ with them. If the church down the road sings traditional hymns rather than contemporary choruses, it's okay, because we're united in Christ. And in this church, people that you disagree with, it might be over the clothes they wear, it might be over what they say, but if they're in Christ, they're your brother and sister in Christ, and we're called to be united. Friends, get this right, and it would transform this church. Instead of resentments and jealousy, we'd have cooperation and concern. Instead of groups and personality cults, we'd just have one body all pointing to the cross of Christ. And instead of fighting and factions, we'd rejoice in a faithful God. I'm sure this letter stunned the Corinthians because they thought that they were on track. They thought that they were mature. They thought that they were, they'd made it. But Paul says, no, you're immature because there's no cross, there's no Christ. Paul says, get back to the basics. Remember who you are in Christ. Sanctified. Partners. Grace. You're gifted by Christ. You're assured in Christ. Focus on Christ and then be united in him. Let me pray. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Father, we are astonished that though undeserving, you have poured out your love for us in Christ. We thank you for that cross where he laid his life down for us. Father, forgive us for our squabbles and our fightings, both within this church and with other churches. And Father, where there is a common mind as we both seek to teach the scriptures and proclaim Christ, help us to be a good witness, help us to be united and of one mind. And I ask that for Jesus' sake.